Hello everyone, and welcome back to the History of Africa podcast. I'm your host, Andy. Last episode, we dove into the reign of one of Imerina's most revered monarchs in its history, the wise and measured Mpanjaka, Andrea Massina Falona. Despite his generally positive reputation as a ruler, though, Andrea Massina Falona is strangely also well known for making one of the most disastrous decisions in the history of Imerina. This decision sparked seven decades of destruction and misery, and ruined thousands of lives. All of this begs the question, how did such an otherwise intelligent and forethinking man make such a disastrous choice? And was there any warning for what could go wrong? Season 4, Episode 11, The Crisis of the 18th Century, Part 1, Andrea Messina Falona's Blunder. History is rife with stories of people who refuse to relinquish power, no matter the cost or damage of such a decision. On the other hand, it is relatively uncommon to see the opposite. People who intentionally abdicate their own power and authority, despite external pressure to do otherwise. By the year 1705, Imerina had enjoyed decades of prosperous rule under the watchful rule of Andrea Massina Falona. Depending on which estimate you believe, his rule had started either in 1667 or 1675, meaning that, as our story begins, Andrea Massina Falona had been king of Imerina for between 30 and 38 years. Now, by the nature of the medium of history podcasting, time can get quite condensed. For us, the majority of Andrea Massina Falona's rule was a roughly 30-minute summary. But put yourself in the perspective of a Merina person in 1700. Where were you, personally, 30 years ago? Think about how long ago that truly feels. Maybe you were getting married, buying your first car, going to school for the first time, learning to read, or maybe not even born yet. Now imagine that for this entire 30-year period of your life, between now and that moment, that you had experienced life under the same prosperous government. To the elders of Imerina, life before the peaceful rule of Andrea Massina Falona was like a distant memory, while to the younger people, there was no memory of the time before. It was all they ever knew. Fitting with his persona as a wise, forward-thinking statesman, Andrea Massina Falona had dedicated a great deal of consideration to what he thought should happen after his death. Fortunately for Andrea Massina Falona, he was, of course, not working from scratch when it came to the laws of succession. We've dedicated a great deal of time on the show talking about the so-called organized succession, its rules, evolutions, and whatnot. So Andrea Massina Falona had to figure out a way to make his family fit into this pre-existing model. Now, you might remember from last episode that one of Andrea Massina Falona's most well-known and successful policies was the diplomatic integration of surrounding polities and kingdoms into his own. While this policy was certainly effective at expanding the king's authority, it did have some interesting side effects. This is because many of these agreements of submission between Andrea Massina Falona and the royalty of surrounding states was often sealed with a wedding between the Impanjaka Merina and the sister or daughter of the king he was negotiating with. Now, by this point in history, polygamy had long since become an accepted practice among Merina royalty, but this usually took the form of a king having somewhere between two to maybe three or four wives. Andrea Massina Falona, on the other hand, 
had 12, mostly coming from the aforementioned diplomatic agreements. Fortunately, the institutions of organized succession were more than prepared for this type of situation. Following the precedent of his forefathers, Andrea Massina Falona arranged for his first wife, who herself was a royal descendant and his second cousin, to be the only bearer of legitimate children who could inherit the status of Impanjaka Imerina. His other children were categorized as yet another entry in the growing list of Andriana subcasts, who would go on to fulfill typical Andriana roles such as landowners, bureaucrats, and other key powerful positions within the nobility. In fact, due to the king's recent policies of reorganizing and re-regulating the system of land ownership, it was possible for members of this newly christened subcast to leverage their close relationship to the king to receive preferential treatment, with the line of Andrea Massina Falona often receiving the most productive regions to govern over. As a result, this line of Andriana would gradually become the most influential we've seen so far. So, with the role of his numerous sons from his other marriages easily filed away, the question now came down to who would inherit the kingdom out of his four legitimate heirs. It was on the question of inheritance in which Andrea Massina Falona would commit his greatest, most infamous folly. Which, honestly, is kind of understandable. Despite the fact that Imerina theoretically had a centuries-long tradition of organized succession in which the oldest eligible son would inherit the kingship, the question of which of the king's legitimate heirs would inherit the kingdom was so riddled with asterisks and exceptions to the point where you could hardly even say that there was a firm precedent to follow. It didn't help that Andrea Massina Falona himself was one of these exceptions. Remember, his older brother inherited the kingship before getting overthrown by a Hofa uprising, which instated the younger brother as king. With all this in mind, Let's just say that there wasn't a universally adhered to precedent regarding which of his four eligible sons would inherit the kingdom. As a result, Andrea Massina Falona was torn on which of his four eligible sons should inherit his mantle of king after his eventual departure. To assist him in judging the merit of his sons, Andrea Massina Falona enlisted the support of his longtime ally and close advisor, the maker of days, Andrea Mampandri. The seer devised a series of tests to gauge each son's personality based on rumors that he had heard floating around. Andrea Massina Falona's eldest son, the default choice to inherit the throne, and who had been granted governorship over the lands of the capital at Antanaraifu, had a bit of a reputation for being greedy. So Andrea Mampandri visited the son and presented him with a gift, an enormous jar full of precious quality honey. Confirming the rumor, the eldest son immediately consumed the entire jar without sharing a single drop with friends or family, and eventually even smashed the jar open to get every last drop of remaining honey out of its tough-to-reach crevices. Based on the test, Andrea Mampandri concluded that if the eldest son was allowed to inherit the throne, that he would treat the kingdom like a honeypot, a well of treasure to be selfishly consumed and discarded. Next, he visited the prince of Alasora. Andrea Massina Falona's son with the greatest reputation for impulsiveness and ill temper. To test these rumors, Andrea Mampandri presented the prince with a gift of a beautiful Vasa parrot, a bird often kept as a prestige pet by the nobility of Madagascar. While the prince was grateful and polite while receiving the gift, he apparently misunderstood the bird's purpose, killing the parrot and eating it for dinner. The prince of Alasora, Andrea Mampandri concluded, was, as he put it, a gun that loads itself. 
a man who was too much of a slave to his own impulses to be trusted with leadership. For the next son, the prince of a town named Ambohitra Trimo, the maker of days had heard rumors of his gluttony and ill manners. As a test, he gave the prince a liver of a cow. While many cultures consider liver to be a perfectly normal and acceptable dish, Highland Malgasy culture viewed liver as the worst of the worst part of the animal, the most unappealing and unpalatable piece of meat you could possibly receive. Regardless, the prince of Ambuhidra Trimo was overjoyed by the gift, immediately cooked it up and scarfed it all down, confirming that the prince had no discipline, standards, or control over his gluttonous desires. Dismayed by the results of his first three tests, Andrea Mampandri possessed low expectations when he traveled to meet the fourth and final prospective heir, the Prince of Amboimanga. The prince governing Amboimanga was a young man by the name of Andrian Drasica. He had never heard much about this prince and didn't really know what he was going to do when it came to testing him. The seer visited the hilltop home of the prince, carrying only an axe and a rope. Upon seeing the maker of days approaching his home, Andrian Drasaka was overjoyed and asked to borrow his tools. Andrea Mampandri, confused, lent the axe and rope to the son, who proceeded to use them to butcher a special cow that he had been saving up just for the perfect moment when a special guest arrived. He then precisely and carefully cleaned the animal and divided its fine cuts into two parts, one as a gift to his wife and the other as a gift to Andrea Mampandri as a show of gratitude for lending him the tools. Impressed by the prince's selflessness and strong manners, Andrea Mampandri now knew which son he favored to next rule Imerina. But despite Andrea Mampandri's outspoken advice, Andrea Massina Falona still struggled on the question of succession. And honestly, it's hard to blame him. It's important to keep in mind that while from our perspective as outside observers, this was merely a political question that he was stubbornly refusing to address, that to Andrea Massina Falona, this matter was intensely personal. These were his sons, his flesh and blood. He loved all of them. So that emotional element must have given him a great deal of pause when making this decision. And ultimately, it was this reluctance rooted in the love for his sons that would lead him into his most disastrous decision. One day, Andrea Massina Falona called for an assembly of his subjects at the Andohalo Public Square in the Rofa Vantananarifu, so he could announce his plans regarding succession. In a crowd of assembled bureaucrats, subject kings, and nobility, both Hofa and Andriana, nobody was sure of quite what to expect. But whatever they thought they would hear, Andrea Massina Falona certainly subverted their expectations. In a twist that would make M. Night blush, Impanjaka Imerina announced that of his four sons, his successor would be all of them. Each son would inherit a quarter of the Merina kingdom, one in the north, one in the south, one in the east, and the last in the west, with these fiefs more or less corresponding to the areas that they were already acting as governors of. Meanwhile, Andrea Massina Falona himself would partially abdicate his position, choosing to limit his own jurisdiction exclusively to the Rofa, as well as to act as a mentor and mediator on behalf of his sons. Then, when he passed away, the sons would continue to govern their quarters of the kingdom respectively in his absence, each with the full authority of an independent monarch, but cooperating on behalf of their blood ties. Among these four kings, the one who ruled in Ambohimanga would be the foremost among them, but that would be the extent of his power, the foremost among equals. In a sense, Andrea Massina Falona was declaring the end of the kingdom of Imerina. 
In its place, there would be a Merina Confederation of Four, known as Imerina Efatoko, named after the toko or four legs of a cooking pot. As Andrea Massina Falona concluded his speech, the assembled crowd at Antananarifu sat in disbelief. Hearing that their king, the beloved man in whom they had entrusted the authority to protect them, was not only resigning his position, but also basically doing away with the Merina realm altogether, was about as disquieting as news could be. Now, we can't be sure of how every assembled aristocrat and nobleman felt, but we do know how one did. The king's longtime head diviner, Andrea Mampandri. Fittingly, for a man who could divine the future, Andrea Mampandri made the prediction that, rather than cooperating as the king hoped they would, that the true outcome of Imerina Efatoko would be a future of violence and strife. If Imerina Efatoko was allowed to become reality, then civil war would be an imminent threat as the sons compete with each other for influence, power, and wealth. In the middle of the assembly, Andrea Massina Falona, apparently not knowing of the extent of Andrea Mampandri's disapproval of his plan, called on the old seer to join him at the front of the assembled crowd. There, he would clearly endorse the plan, alleviating the concerns of his fellow bureaucrats. But what was supposed to be a moment of political legitimization for the plan soon became one of humiliation. As Andrea Massina Falona called for his advisor to join him, Andrea Mampandri refused, manufacturing a weak excuse that he, uh, wasn't dressed for the occasion. Yeah, sure, let's go with that. The king awkwardly insisted that the seer was dressed, uh, just fine, but Andrea Mampandri refused to budge. In an effort to just get the seer on stage, Andrea Massina Falona announced that he had a few really nice cloaks lying around and ordered a servant to go fetch one for the seer. When the cloak was delivered, Andrea Mampandri, now out of excuses, made a drastic decision. No longer able to obscure his disapproval, Andrea Mampandri hoisted the cloak into the air and poetically tore it into four pieces before tossing it into a pile of mud. With his allegory made clear, the old man then lifted the muddy cloak and proceeded to put it on anyways, stating that although the cloak was ripped and dirtied, there was still time to undo the damage. This message of hope, though, was not enough to convince the king to change course. Now, in the coming months, as Andrea Massina Falona prepared to enact his plan, various oral traditions exist which describe the desperate and sometimes kind of morbidly funny attempts by Andrea Mampandri to convince his king that dividing the kingdom into four pieces was a terrible idea. The exact extent to which we should take these stories as real events or as an exaggerated conflation of the seer's disapproval more generally is, well, up for debate. Regardless, they're too interesting not to share. In one of these stories, a few days following the assembly ceremony, Andrea Mampandri approached King Andrea Massina Falona and told him that he had something really cool to show him. The king followed his trusted advisor until they reached a chicken coop. In the coop, there were four large, beautiful roosters. Then, with the king watching, Andrea Mampandri picked up a nearby hen and placed it into the center of the coop. Upon seeing the hen, all four of the roosters began brutally murdering each other to compete for its affection. As the chaotic violence unfolded, Andrea Mampandri looked at his king in the eye and I imagine said something like, Huh, isn't that crazy? I wonder what this could possibly be an allegory for. Apparently, it was insufficiently persuasive. This year would, again, pull a similar stunt, this time with a group of four trained falcons, again, unsuccessfully. 
In one final, desperate attempt to dissuade the king from enacting his plan, Andrea Mampandri allegedly pulled one ultimate, dangerous stunt. Now, this story is recorded in the Tantara, but I do want to add the caveat that uh, I don't believe it for reasons that should be obvious, but, you know, still needs to be included. So, one day, Andrea Mampandri allegedly found a bull in the middle of mating season, when the animals were at their most irritable and aggressive. He then tied up the bull and guided it to the Rofa Vantananarifu, on a day when a small crowd had gathered inside for a festival. He then took the already flustered bovine and shoved it into the crowded Rofa. The angry bull proceeded to go on a rampage, trampling and goring several fleeing bystanders to death, while a few nearby pregnant women, presumably some of the king's wives, were so frightened by the traumatic event that they miscarried. When Andrea Massina Falona emerged from his palace to see what was going on, Andrea Mampandri immediately let the king know that he was the one who had released the bull in the courtyard, killing all those people. But if he thought that was bad, wait until he saw the carnage that would happen if he divided up his kingdom. Somehow, Andrea Massina Falona, rather than, like, arresting Andrea Mampandri for murdering a bunch of people, instead was just like, dang, that really makes me think, and kind of slunk off. And, yeah, while a lot of these stories feature Andrea Mampandri getting away with political stunts that would be unthinkable for anyone else, pointing to the unmatched reverence and respect that the king had for the man, the idea that he could just, like, murder several of the king's attendants and or potentially important political advisors and maybe make his wife miscarry just to make a point and then completely get away with it, well, it's a bit beyond my limit for what I consider plausible. Apart from the efforts of his maker of days, Andrea Massina Falona's quest to sort out his succession was also briefly interrupted by the continuation of an emerging crisis. A few years prior, a series of incredibly severe droughts hit central Madagascar. The effect of these droughts was staved off for a while. After all, the well-engineered system of reservoirs and canals meant that even in a year without rain, the farmers of Imerina still had water for their rice fields. However, the year came and went and as the next dry season arrived, water still refused to fall from the sky. Then, the same next year, and the year after that, and the year after that, rice crops began to go dry, and the agricultural productivity of Imerina's farms plummeted. This incredibly unlucky spree of drought led to the onset of what could have potentially become a catastrophic famine. With a crisis of food imminent, Andrea Massina Falona was forced to spring into action and easily demonstrated how, despite his objectionable plans to succession, that he was undeniably one of the most competent leaders the island had ever seen. Without missing a beat, Andrea Massina Falona began planning on how to handle the famine relief and mitigate the deaths of his subjects as much as possible. The king's disaster relief plan included tapping into well-stocked royal food reserves, as well as touring the outskirts of his vassal kingdoms, to gain a census over which areas of his realms were suffering more or less than others. What he discovered was, at first, quite disconcerting. It seemed like no matter where he traveled, that at best the communities of his kingdom were barely producing enough food to feed themselves, and at worst, in imminent need of assistance. As the king traveled further west, though, he finally started to receive promising results. This region had been less affected by the ongoing drought, and had actually received a small amount of rainfall, which, though still less than they had expected, did allow these communities to produce a humble agricultural surplus. And, like many times in his career, Andrea Massina Falona's positive relationship with his Hofa subjects paid off. 
the lords of his peripheral subjects were more than willing to sell the king crops at a fair price, despite having more than enough leverage to ring up the desperate king at a gouged value. But to these Hofa lords, scamming the beloved king, who in many cases was literally considered a part of their family through marriage, was unthinkable. In fact, Andrea Massina Falona's beloved status among his peripheral vassals was so great that many even insisted on delivering large quantities of food entirely gratis, at a price of zero. These accumulated food stocks were then redistributed to the most desperate struggling regions of Imerina, relieving the area from the brink of a deadly disaster. While undoubtedly many people perished in what ultimately amounted to a seven-year drought, the famine of the early 18th century today is remembered more for Andrea Massina Falona's impressive leadership in relieving the suffering rather than as a time of starvation. It's important to remember that while the stories involving his succession can make him appear stubborn and, frankly, kinda dumb, Andrea Massina Falona was unquestionably a very, very effective, intelligent, and capable leader. We'll be back after a quick break. How are University of Notre Dame faculty and students working to be a force for good in the world? Listen to Notre Dame stories to find out. Through expert interviews and captivating stories, listeners gain an inside perspective on the global and domestic challenges the university is working to solve. Subscribe to Notre Dame Stories wherever you get your podcasts. With famine delaying the king's abdication plans, he was given a period to reconsider his succession strategy. To help the conflicted king, Andrea Massina Falona consulted the wisdom of one of his holy Sampie. The king visited the shrine of a Sampie named Matsatsu and requested its advice on the matter of succession. The Sampie's keeper, after consulting with the holy object, claimed that the Sampie had delivered a verdict that the lord of Alasora, the prince who had killed and eaten the parrot, was to be the next ruler of Imerina. Taken aback by the unexpected answer, and exhausted from his last several years of conflicted internal fighting over this question, something within Andrea Massina Falona finally snapped. The king, ordinarily known for his reserved and kind demeanor, flew into an uncharacteristic rage. He ordered the Sampia's keeper be put to death, while the holy object itself was thrown to the bottom of a lake. Any future veneration of the object was similarly criminalized, and anyone who was caught singing its praises would meet the same deadly fate as its keeper. The king then turned to the keepers of two other Sampie, Kelimelasa and Sorata. As you might expect, the keepers wisely avoided the king's questions, with the former saying, uh, just like, do what you want, man, and the latter claiming that the Sampie had, uh, somehow ended up buried underground, and he'd get back to the king as soon as he found where it was. The stress of picking his successor was clearly beginning to wear on the king's mental state, putting him on the verge of a total breakdown. The advice of his allies and his own internal preferences told him that the prince of Ambohimanga, Andrea Andrasaka, should be the next king. But his own paternal instincts and love refused to let him make such a designation. But with the contradiction within him becoming more apparent with every passing day, Andrea Massina Falona finally made his decision. After years of desperate struggling, the king finally came to agree with Andrea Mampandri and declared Andrea Andrasaka as his heir apparent. While most of the Medina elite were relieved by the decision and applauded the king's change of heart, three people, 
very much did not. Those were the three other sons, for whom power and sovereignty had been dangled right in front of their face, only to have it be suddenly ripped away. One of these sons, the gluttonous lord of Ambohidratrimo, concocted a plan to reverse his father's change in succession. He would kidnap the king. The son's plan was uh, kind of convoluted, but quite genius as well in its own strange way. The prince of Ambohidratrimo first schemed to provoke a rebellion against himself. As part of this plan, the prince began making provocative demands, basically designed to irk the local Hofa as much as he could. One particularly inflammatory new law that the prince passed revolved around the locals' haircuts. You might remember that, as part of a reform to ensure good relations between the Hofa nobility and their Andriana overlords, Andrea Massina Falona had passed a decree demanding that the Andriana must respect regional variations in culture and tradition. Ambohidra Trimo was a good example of why this sort of thing was necessary. The people of the town were, at the time, known for growing out their hair long, and took great pride in styling it. In an obvious attempt to provoke discontent, the prince of Ambohitratrimo began to order local Hofa to cut off their long hair in favor of an embarrassing new style. Both men and women had to shave their head to the point of baldness, and then wear a long toupee of braided hair that swung down to their legs. As you might expect, this really upset the Hofa of Ambohitratrimo who, as the prince had expected, rose up in rebellion. The prince then dispatched a messenger to send to his father, telling him that the Hofa had rebelled and he was holed up in an underground cavern in his home. Please come help me. Andrea Massina Falona, fooled by the plan, believed that his son had idiotically provoked rebellion by disobeying his commands. The king headed to the palace in Ambohidratrimo to reprimand his son, where he was greeted happily by the local people. Making his way to the underground floor of the palace, he stepped into the subterranean cavern under his prince's home. But just a few seconds later, the entryway was suddenly sealed behind him. The prince's trap had worked, and the king of Imerina was now his prisoner. The prince, having succeeded in his trap, quickly revoked his unusual haircut orders to regain his subject's loyalty. Better yet, nobody other than the king and the prince of Ambohitatrimo themselves knew the truth of what was going on. When the king suddenly went missing, his son, the prince of Ambohidratrimo, assuaged people's fears by saying that the king was just staying at his place. Now, the very conspicuous timing of the king's disappearance was obviously more than a little suspicious. It probably didn't help his appearances that, when the other princes asked why their father had chosen to stay with him without letting anyone else know where he'd gone, the prince of Ambohidratrimo's sole explanation was, I kid you not, I guess he just loves me more. Damn... That's just cold. Despite the suspicious nature of the king's disappearance, nobody really had any true grounds to question the official narrative that the prince of Ambohidratrimo was putting out. Throughout the king's imprisonment, the prince would routinely offer to free his father in exchange for endorsing him as the next Mpanjaka Emerina, an offer which Andrea Massina Falona categorically refused. For years, this cycle continued, with the prince demanding that his father designate him as the next king, his father refusing to do so, and then the prince keeping him trapped in the basement. Meanwhile, the other princes and nobles of the realm had grown increasingly suspicious of what was going on over in Ambohitratrimo, but continued to lack the proof to take any action. But as more and more rumors began to circulate that their father was trapped in the Ambohitratrimo palace basement, suspicions only continued to grow. 
Now, the exact details of what happened next are very, very different depending on which version of events you believe. But somehow, after almost seven years in his son's basement, Andrea Massina Falona got out. The most popular version of the story alleges that the king's imprisonment was discovered by a group of local fishermen, who had been hired by the prince of Amboimanga to investigate the situation. When they confirmed that the king was, in fact, imprisoned, they decided to dig an El Chapo-style tunnel to break him out of his jail. Upon returning to Antananarifu, Andrea Massina Falona gathered his other sons, captured and imprisoned the prince of Ambohitratrimo. In another retelling, Andrea Andrasaka, being the loyal and capable son that he was, decided to investigate what was going on with his father himself, launching a military invasion of his brother's lands. After a short battle in which Andrea Andrasaka emerged victorious, the prince of Ambohitra Trimo, as disgraced Marina politicians always did, fled to the kingdom of Menabe to his east, where he begged the Sakalav king for assistance in taking over Merina. The Sakalav, though initially interested in the offer, had actually been on pretty friendly terms with Andrea Massina Falona, and were not happy when they caught wind of what had been happening to him these last several years. Instead of leading the prince back to Imerina, the head of a Sakalav army, they instead just let the prince huff about in his own rage for a while. In an attempt to lure his son back from his refuge in Manabe, Andrea Massina Falona set up a remarkably simple trap. He simply started spreading the rumor that he had actually decided to change his mind and crown the treacherous prince as his successor, despite all that had happened. Somehow, this worked, and the prince of Ambujitartrimo foolishly took the bait, and returned to Antanarifo. He was promptly called before a public hearing, stripped of all titles, humiliated, and then exiled again, just for safe measure. While the details of the retellings of the story vary quite considerably, the end result is the same. The king was free, and the prince who had kept him in prison was now a disgraced exile. With the king back in his rightful role, and a firm successor now designated, things were looking up. In 1710, shortly after reacquiring his freedom, King Andrea Massina Falona passed away in his sleep, either from a sickness he acquired while in the cold cavern under his son's home, or from falling off his bed, depending on which version you believe. The last thing he ever requested from his remaining sons was that they cooperate and never seek violence against each other, an oath which they all accepted. So, Andrea Massina Falona's long and twisting rule ended in a fittingly unusual manner. The story of his rule is seemingly pulled straight out of a Hollywood film, even featuring the plot structure of an inciting incident, followed by a series of escalating conflicts, a climactic confrontation, and eventually even a happy resolution. With Andrea Massina Falona free to pass on his kingdom to his chosen heir, and his sons pledging to cooperate and rule as one unit, it seemed like both the external crisis of succession, as well as Andrea Massina Falona's internal crisis between paternal and political responsibilities, were finally resolved. If this was a Hollywood film, the story would end here, concluding on this promising tone of hope for the future. But life is not a Hollywood movie, and despite the promising ending to their king's life, it turned out that the future Fodi Merina was about as far from bright as it could possibly be. The pledge between Andrea Massina Falona's three sons will last for about as long as the day they made it, and Imerina will almost immediately plunge into the darkest period of its history. Join us on our next episode, as the kingdom of Imerina falls into a brutal period of civil war, and the country is, for the first time in its history, subjugated by a foreign enemy. Thank you for listening to the History of Africa podcast. If you like our show, then we would greatly appreciate if you could help support the show 
and our project of freely available online history education. You can do this by supporting us at patreon.com slash historyofafrica, providing us a rating or review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or iTunes, or by sharing the podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy learning about African history. This episode is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon, including Naomi Kanakia, Ayofagbamie, Morgan Blackmore, Sarah Mpenza, Dimitri, Emmanuel Saudi, Alexander Travis, B.B. Milliam, Conrad Schwenke, Travis Bell, Johnny Knowles, Godfrey Sebalabie, Evan Edwards, Pascal Nwakocha, Joe Maxwell, Nkechi Nwabodike, Sheyuno Lurontimain, Kwajo Amankwa, Douglas Harder, Craig Bolton, Samuel Badu, Rasan Firgiani, and Ni T, among others. Thank you all for supporting the show. It really, really, really means a lot.